0: Follow me, you whispered in my deep pain, but I can't imagine how. I've rejoiced on the mountaintops with you, but when you call me through the valleys, I can't see my own feet in front of me, and I'm left with no choice but to cling to you. Journeying through dark places dictates that I must trust you. Follow me was what you said to the disciples as they abandoned you, scattering into the darkness as you headed to the grave. And I realize I can trust you because you didn't stay there, and you loved your disciples, no matter what, as you still do. Even in my darkest night, you shine as the day. In my hopeless situation, I remember how many hopeless situations you've conquered. That indeed, the only way out of the hopelessness is to listen as you say, follow me. Good morning. Great to see you today, and uh, if you were one of those fortunate enough to go out on a spring break this last week and enjoy someplace sunny, uh, you make me sick. Uh, <clears throat> I got probably six texts from people showing me pictures from where they were at and uh, I just think, ah, you know. Um, but uh, no, hey, welcome home uh, <laughs> to reality. <laughs> Yeah, I know my wife uh, at Makatiya School, District. she's a, a substitute teacher, she's, she, this is their spring break week, and so we'll see how that goes uh, this week. But I'm glad you guys are here. I'm excited about what we're going to be sharing today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22 uh, for the majority of our time together. We always like to make a Bible available if uh, you'd like to use one. Uh, hey, two weeks Easter's here, isn't that amazing? And uh, we're, we always get excited. Obviously, it's huge opportunities to connect with people uh, at a time of the year when people are more sensitive to the things of God and open to invitations. Uh, it's one of the reasons why after the service today you're gonna get uh, offered some cards that look like this. These are our invite cards this year, really usable, all right? Grab a, grab a few of these, put them in the hands of your friends. I really wanna say particular, and I I for our, uh, our kids ministry crew, they are doing an absolutely amazing job preparing this extravaganza if you're not familiar with it if you're newer to north shore there'll be between two and three thousand people on our campus here uh, to participate families have never been to the church never been here at all but they hear about this the word gets out and rightfully so they are they're just so excited and uh, happy and we get to make these connections and they will thank you if you uh, invite them to come and participate. We hope that there'll be a connection you know, th- uh, through the subsequent services. We've got three Easter services. I always like to ask you guys that are normal, regular, like 11 o'clock attenders, if you'll just tuck away to make room for the visitors, because this is kind of the service most of them tend to come to, if you could shift to the, either the 9 o'clock or even better, the, the, the Saturday night 5.30 service just that week, we can celebrate. They're the same service, identical and uh, just kind of help us prepare in a couple of weeks, all right, as we look forward to that. So we, um, we are going to continue in a series of messages we've been calling Follow Me and talking about Jesus' challenge to those first disciples when he met them on the, the Sea of Galilee and he said, well, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they took him up on it. Uh, They were privileged to begin to connect with Jesus uh, as their rabbi, as their teacher, their master. So they left everything. They dropped their nets and their family business and everything and began to follow him for the next uh, several years. Uh, They watched amazing things. And I, I just thought about the journey that they were on and if you were with us last week, you know that that journey was taking quite a sharp turn. Things were dramatically going to change now that Jesus set his sights on Jerusalem for the last time. He warned them. He said, This is what's going to happen. And they were going to be ushered into a new season. Up to this point, everything was was pretty amazing. They were popular. Uh, Jesus was sought after. Crowds, you know, they loved him. They they would sit and listen to his teaching for hours. And his disciples were privileged, even proud, to be associated with him. Now things were gonna change as he goes toward Jerusalem being ready for the the suffering, for the the laying his life down and everything that would transpire. And now the question was, will we follow him uh, even there? I've told you throughout the series that I kind of borrowed from a hymn, where he leads me, I will follow, written back in the late 1800s. And there's verses in that and it says, I will go with him to the garden which is where we went last week, to the Garden of Gethsemane where he agonized over what was coming. Uh, I'll go with him through the judgment, which is what we're gonna be talking about today, the trials that he went through. And then will I go with him to dark Calvary, that's, that's gonna be next week as we look at the cross on uh, Palm Sunday is next week. And so again, my challenge to you is wherever you're at in the journey, however long you've been on this, this trek, Uh, Will you follow him? Will you follow him in the good times? Will you follow him even in the most difficult times? Some of you that are newer in that journey, maybe you don't quite know yet what's ahead, but there's this deep commitment Said, where else would I go? I had something really interesting happen this week. Uh, I got to my office and I saw my little blue light on my phone, which means I had a voicemail. And so I pressed the button and the voice on the other end says, Wow, he says, this is gonna be a blast from your past. He said, this is gonna probably cause you to scratch your head a little bit. And then he mentioned his name. Well, I immediately recognized his name because he was one of my buddies in high school. He was kind of kind of, kind of, the, kind of the, the group that I hung with, not, not the, maybe the dominant one, but right on the fringes. And so we knew each other very well. We did a lot of rotten things together. and. Uh, and I thought, wow, you know, and I, I looked on the number and it was a 360 number, and he says, yeah, I was calling you because I just heard that you, you lived in Washington. He had obviously been to our website, so I think he knew what I was doing. I was a pastor and all this, but, but he mentioned this. And he said, you know, uh, I don't think that I've seen, I saw, seen you since we graduated from high school. And when he said that, he meant literally the weekend we graduated, and so that was my open door to just kind of say, yeah, that's where my life took a, a pretty dramatic turn. I said, my whole direction changed that weekend. And you know, that's, that's where I began to follow the Lord. And, and um, he said, yeah, I remember. He says the next, I was there that night. And then it, it, it dawned on me, yeah, he was part of the group that we were with uh, just in the moment that this all took place. The next morning he says, I remember when you got down to Avila Beach and you threw your cigarettes in the Pacific Ocean. And he said, I, I, I'm changed. Well, it took seven years to finally get the victory over that, and I didn't want to tell him that much, but, you know, it was a good start, though. And it just took me back to, to the reality. I've been on this journey for 46 years, and this guy had one little glimpse 46 years ago. And now fast forward, and where we're at, and where he's at, and, lives over on the peninsula, and, and uh, you know, he's going through some tough times himself. And, and I thought, isn't it interesting, this journey? And it just, I was actually writing this, you know, working on this message at the time, and I just started thinking, you know, I chose to follow the Lord that night. And I've never turned back. <laughs> I've never turned back. And there have been some ups, and there's been some downs. There's been some absolutely ecstatic times, and there have been some pretty, pretty rough times. But the Lord has been faithful. And I'm just so grateful. And I don't, I don't know what your story is, but I know that today we're gonna go uh, to a place. In fact, we're gonna go to a couple of places that are going to kind of test us a little bit of where would we be? Where I left you last week, if you were with us, we were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was just praying through for the strength to endure uh, the cup, he called it, the cup that that you've, you've chosen for me to drink. Lord, if there's any other way, you know, that this cup can bypass me, let it be so, but nevertheless, your will be done. He gets up from his prayer, he sees his disciples over here sleeping, he says, come on guys, it's time, the time has come. He can hear uh, the soldiers that are coming in the distance. He can see the the light of their torches that, that are coming. And leading the way, the very first thing as he gets up from this prayer of strength, the first thing that he notices is it's Judas that is leading the band of soldiers to arrest him. Judas. Much like I did last week, I read a, a passage from Isaiah 50, a prophecy that literally got into the heart and the mind of Christ as he, uh, or hundreds of years earlier, the prophet wrote that his beard would be plucked out, that they'd spit on him, they'd beat him, that they'd mock him. Uh, and it gets into his, his heart and his emotion. And much like that, Psalm 55, here's what it reads. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. I mean, these are the thoughts of the Spirit of God hundreds of years before, but they're transpiring now as Judas is coming. This is, this is what I think is going on in the mind of Jesus he says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friend. He violated his covenant. His speech was like, smooth like butter and yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil and yet they were drawn swords. I thought that was interesting imagery because that's literally what Jesus would have seen behind Judas as drawn swords. That's what you would see literally as he led these soldiers. That's the moment. You're a disciple. I've invited you in to use your imagination to be one of those followers of Christ, one of those guys that were there in the wings up there in the garden. You're a disciple, what do you do now? There's confusion and, and there's just chaos. Uh, we always think it's Peter, one of them slices off his, uh, one of the soldier's ear and Jesus heals it and puts it back. What are you gonna do? Probably underlying all this is the word fear. Wouldn't you agree? there's a fear that sets in. You're a disciple, you're a follower, now what will you do as you begin to shift gears toward identifying with the sufferings of Jesus? Will I still follow him in the garden? And now will I follow him through the judgment that he's about to endure? I put a couple of verses at the top of your notes that you got, and I wanna just just borrow your, your heart and your mind just for a moment. You're in that garden with Christ. You're one of his followers. But take back about, several hours up in the upper room before all this took place, Jesus says these words. Remember he says the word that I said to you. In other words, he's spoken to you this before. He says a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He's told you this. So. It's, it's no wonder that as you're watching this transpire with Jesus and you're saying, This is happening to Jesus, he told me the same thing's going to happen to me. Would that make you afraid? Would that instill a little bit of fear? Luke, uh, in his gospel, he says, A disciple, he records Jesus as saying, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And throughout this series, the last several weeks, almost every week I say, their one goal was as a disciple of Jesus, was to be like their rabbi, like their master. This is why Peter thought that he could walk on the water because Jesus was walking on the water. For no other reason. I wanna be like you Jesus, bid me to come out and walk. I mean that's how they thought. And now their master, their teacher, their rabbi is now going to endure suffering and the question is do you still want to be like him? Will you be like him in his suffering? The apostle Paul got this idea. In one of his epistles he says if we, if we you know, suffer with Jesus, if we die with Jesus we will live with Christ, we will rise with Christ. So there's this part of identifying with him and that's our challenge today. I'm gonna to take you to two places. And we are going to, um, we're just gonna get a glimpse into what it would have been like to watch this transpire. And again, will I, will I follow Christ even through this judgment that's going to take place? Let's pray and let's ask for the Lord's help. Lord, uh, today, again we humbly bow before you trusting that your word is going to pierce our hearts speak to us in a place that only you can I pray for my friends that have gathered here today wherever they're at in that journey if they've never been brought uh, to that clear point of, uh, of decision to follow you even to the cross to take up our cross and follow you I pray today might be that day and God, I just pray for the courage. I pray for the inspiration. Pray for the spirit to compel out of love that there's no other choice to truly experience your life than to walk through with you through your death. And so we, we just commit these moments to you. If there's a person that's never trusted you for their eternal life, their, their, their salvation, I pray that maybe today would be that day. So we commit this time, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 I'm gonna take you to two places, and the first of these is Caiaphas' house, okay? Caiaphas' house, it is is now the destination uh, once they've arrested Jesus, and they're gonna make their way uh, across the Kidron Valley uh, to his house. Now, when I think of this particular part of the story, there are three characters, three primary characters that I want us to draw our attention to. And as I looked at it, I I kinda saw a common thread between these three. There's a characteristic, I'm gonna say it's a characteristic of the flesh, but it happens to be probably, in my opinion, a characteristic that has done more damage and harm to the church and to the people of God than any other fleshly act, okay? When I think of Caiaphas' house, I think Caiaphas' house is a place of, and here's the word, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. think you're gonna see this play this out in, in some different forms in these three different persons. But would you, would you guys agree with me that that's probably done more harm than any other thing? How many times have we been in a conversation with somebody and we've tried to build a relationship and talk to them about the, about the things of God? Maybe you've built up to the point where you're bold enough to ask them, hey, would you come to church with me? How many times have we been met with a response, oh, I, don't, I don't want to do that. Well, why not? Because, you know, the church is just full of hypocrites. You ever heard it? Full of hypocrites. Now, what do you do with that? You think about this. Uh, I'm going to be the first to admit that there are fallen leaders. There are people we've put our hopes and our trust in and then they fail us. Some of these are very high profile leaders. And because of the, uh, the visibility of that, folks that are not connected to the church, that are non-believers, they're non-believers, that they don't have anything to do, that's all they hear about, is maybe some of these episodes are cases of fallen leaders. So do you, are you surprised that they don't come to the conclusion that the whole church is filled with that? And that's their excuse. I don't want to be a part of that what do you do with it i'm going to tell you what to do with it admit it (laughs) work with it don't deny it they can sniff that out in in a moment i i would admit it and i'd say you know what you're right but you know what also there there are phony doctors and yet you still go to a doctor when you get sick don't you you know, to say I'm not going to go to the church because it's full of hypocrites is kind of like saying I'm not going to go to the hospital because it's full of sick people. <laughs> this is what it's for, right? This is a place where sinners find hope and they find grace and they find uh, forgiveness and they find a place where they don't have to be pretentious and hide and, uh, and, and be a hypocrite. You know, actually, you want to know what I do? I just say, hey, why don't you come on anyway? There's room for one more, all right? <laughs> Try that out sometime. <laughs> yeah, and see how it goes. Um, you know, these guys that, that we're going to describe, there's, there's a sense of, when we, when we use the word hypocrisy, you're basically saying I'm pretending to be something that I'm not. And let me, let me walk you through them. Here's the first one. The first one's Judas, all right? Let's take a look at Judas. I'm gonna pick up in Luke 22. I ask you to turn there. If you want to look at verse 47, here's what it says. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. And then he said to the chief priests and the officials and the officers of the temple, he said to the elders, who had come out against him, have you guys come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple... You did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the, and the power of darkness. So here you see Jesus, and as we pointed out, he's, he's just, he's just kind of struck. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed before, but there's just a certain, there's a certain pain that goes with that emotionally. One that you've put your trust, one that you've invested, one that you've poured yourself into, and then for them to, to turn around and, and as, as I look at Judas's hypocrisy, to me, Judas's hypocrisy is that he pretended to be a friend of Jesus. He betrays him with a kiss. For whatever reason, he wanted to come off as one who was still intimate, who was still close to Jesus, and yet the truth of the matter was, he was a traitor. He was a betrayer. And so he was pretending to be this, and yet here was the reality. And so when I kind of begin to examine that, I started thinking about that. I said, have I, have I ever done this? Have I ever met somebody who wants to come off as a friend of Jesus? And yet the truth is, I wonder whether they really are a friend of Jesus. You can usually detect whether somebody knows somebody after a few minutes of talking with them, can't you? If you, if they, if you say that they know somebody you know, and you just talk maybe two or three questions before you know it. You, you'll be able to tell whether they really know him or not uh, or whether they just know about them. You can tell. You can detect. And here's Judas who has been with these guys. He's been one of the 12, one of those followers. And, 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 and some of these guys must have looked and they just thought, how could you do this? It's like we didn't even know you like you weren't even one of us. And so as you're assessing something, and even in the room today, maybe you want to be identified as a friend of Jesus, and maybe even identify yourself that way, but here's the real bottom line question. Would you sell him out? If the pressure came and you, you became fearful, would you sell him out? If you found yourself at work and somebody uh, you know was kind of suggesting oh well you're, you're one of those. Do you, do you sell him out and you, you want to distance yourself from identifying with him? That's one way but some of you are, are pretending to be a friend of Jesus when in fact the truth is something quite different. I, um, I just look at this I'd say you, you know where he's going you know the direction that he's taking you. Most of you here today have been in this long enough that you know what Jesus' uh, kind of objective is to take you there. You know what's required. He's made his commands very clear. If you love me, you will, you will obey my commands, he says. But then you weigh this all out and you say, I don't want to go there. I'm not willing to go there. And yet you still want others to think that you're still close to Jesus. He betrayed him with a kiss and he's, he was still projecting this image to the others, you know, but the reality was something quite different. It just causes us to pause. Where am I truly at in my walk with him? And my challenge to us with regards to this, this idea is, make up your mind, make a, make a choice, M- make up your mind who it is that you're truly gonna follow. Like Joshua said, choose this day who you're gonna serve. You're going to serve the gods, the foreign gods. You're going to choose yourself, your own agenda, or are you going to truly choose Jesus as your master, as the one who calls a shot? You're going to follow him. Okay, that's Judas. The second one is is probably the most familiar uh, of this because <laughs> maybe it's because we can identify with it so much, and that's Peter. Right, this is Peter's denial of Jesus. Verse 54 picks up and it says, when they seized him and they led him away, they brought him into the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance. Now, I tried, I tried to picture this. It, I think all the other guys scattered. But don't you suppose Peter is still hearing the words of Jesus just a few hours earlier reverberating saying, you know what, before the night's over, you're going to deny that you even know me. And can't you imagine him saying, I'm not gonna let that happen. And he follows him at a distance. He wants to know where are they taking him? What's gonna happen? What's unfolding here? And so he's kind of at a distance, gets up into the courtyard, and I can just, I can just almost imagine in his thinking, in his mind, he's saying, I won't let it happen. I won't let it happen. I won't let it happen. And now he's in, in, the, in the courtyard, and it says there was a fire kindling in the middle of the courtyard, and he sat down with all these other people. And uh, he was right amongst them. Then a servant girl, I'm looking at verse 56. She sees him and, and uh, as he sat in the, in the light and looked closely at him, and she said, this man also was with him, but he denied it. Saying, woman, I, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. And, but Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about still an hour another insisted and said certainly this man also was with him for he too is Galilean. In other words his dialect gave him away. If you met somebody from the south you'd immediately know what part of the south are you from. You could recognize their dialect. Well the Galileans had their own dialect that they, they, they spotted. Peter said man I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that? You went ahead and did it. As hard as you tried in your flesh, you just couldn't help yourself. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him before the rooster crows you will deny me three times and he went away and wept bitterly. Um, you know, as I looked at Peter and I thought about his hypocrisy His hypocrisy is almost just the opposite of Judas. If Judas' was to pretend to be a friend of Jesus, Peter was pretending not to be a follower of Jesus. He did not want to be identified. He did not want to be linked up with him. There's a certain kind of hypocrisy that makes you want to look better than yourself, isn't there? That's probably the most common, you know? I, I don't know where it came from, but somebody once said, fake it till you make it. You know, just, just, just act like it and then you know, eventually you'll, you'll, and there's some truth to that. But on the other side, there's another kind of hypocrisy in the Christian world that wants to be less than what we truly are. We want to blend in with the crowd and we don't want to be, you know, maybe as good as we truly are in Christ I, I know it's kind of weird But, you know I, I remember back in high school It wasn't cool to be smart yeah, I don't know if that was your experience But around my crowd, you know If you got an A on a, on a test You'd never tell anybody <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just wouldn't You wouldn't brag about it You know, in fact, if anything You kind of feigned you know ignorance And, uh, you know, it just kind of, kind of worked that way I, uh, I watched that and I, I suppose there's a pressure and Peter obviously was under that kind of pressure because he knew that it might be dangerous to identify so I, I understand that. But there's another kind that you just want to blend in. You don't want to stand out. By, by the way, I don't know if you knew this or not but the Bible says you are a peculiar people. Did you know that? Some of you, i could say amen, <laughs> right? <laughs> I can agree, I understand that. I'm probably one of those, right? But he's saying you were intended to stand out and to be like a light on the hill and to be be set apart. That's what holy means, to be a holy person, to be set apart. Some of us don't like that. Elton Trueblood had a quote. I remember he said, it is curious how many are more afraid of being sanctimonious than being wicked. Many would hate worse being called a saint than a sinner. We wouldn't boast of our virtue, but we boast of our vices. You, you begin to understand? Uh, shortly after I, I became a Christian, and I, I think most of you know that I didn't really come from a Christian home, my folks went to a church, but, but there was no personal relationship with Christ. And so when I, um, when I met Christ a few days after high school, uh, graduated, I came home, and, and I know my dad was very suspicious. He didn't believe it. I mean, think about it. Three weeks earlier, he had, had to bail me out of uh, jail for selling drugs, and so he thought the die was cast and everything was going. So he was very suspicious, but, man, a few weeks went by, and he knew something really dramatic had changed me, and it was only a few weeks after that that my dad gave his heart to the Lord, and he was baptized the night before I went away to college Uh, When I flew away to to Portland, Oregon and he surprised me that night at a Sunday evening service and he was the one that just said, I can't believe after 50 years being in a church I never knew you could personally know Jesus Christ. And so he began his walk, you know, so it's kind of an inversion of what typically takes place in the family. I went away to college, and especially when I began to prepare for ministry and things like that, you know, I was the only one in my family, really, that that was devoted that way. And so he was kind of proud of that. So when I would come home, he would get me up. I'd go back down to California, Central California. He'd get me up real early, like 5.30 in the morning. And I'd have to go down to Denny's with him to meet with all of his dairymen and the cronies, uh, you know, that he he hung out to uh, about 6 o'clock every morning. And I'd go and I could tell, you know, he's kind of introduced me, he's kind of proud, you know. But I stand back and I watched. And these guys were really rough. I mean, they were really raw, you know, kind of just out there. And, and uh, their language was very raw. And I, f- I watched my dad as he would start swearing. He'd start using profanity around these guys. And I just looked and I thought, why is he doing that? that he never does that. He never does that at home, and, uh, you know, and especially now. But he just he just wanted to be one of the guys. And I can't tell you the impact that that had. I never told him this. I never confronted him on it. But I've never forgotten it. And I stop and I think in your home and the kids as they watch you and the things that they do and the things they hear you say and the values and the things that you might say, but then they watch over here of not maybe not wanting to live up to what we know the standard the Lord has set. I heard the story that Karl Marx, the founder of communism, right? Communist Manifesto. That Karl Marx grew up in a Jewish home, and apparently when things started getting pretty dicey there in that area in Germany, you know, his family moved to Germany, and his father told their family, he said, he said, from now on, we're gonna be Lutherans. He says, it will be better for us. So they abandoned their, their faith in, in Judaism so, so that they could you know, make life easier. Isn't it interesting, Karl Marx grows to write a manifesto that includes that religion is the opiate of the people and that whole system was based on materialism, which means you eradicated God completely out of it. That's the nature of it. Could it go back to what he saw and what he witnessed in his own household? Um, That is the danger. And this is why it is just so crucial even as we examine Peter. It's why we identify with him. Because I think all of us have been in those moments, haven't we, when the pressure comes and and we have to decide, are we gonna follow Jesus even in the moment of his suffering? Are we gonna identify with him as he's going through this trial? That's what hurt his heart so much. He saw Jesus just looked at him like, Peter, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Couldn't Couldn't you stand? I just want, before I get off of this, I want you to notice something. In case you think that this was pre-Pentecost, pre-Holy Spirit Peter that did this, but after the Holy Spirit came, now he's bold. Now he'll stand in front of everybody. He'll risk his life, right? But you want to know what? He still struggled with this area, even years beyond. It's written, the Apostle Paul noticed when he came with what we call the Judaizers, to examine you know, these Gentiles that were becoming Christians, the Judaizers were convinced they had to become a Jew first and then they become a Christian. It drove Paul crazy. He was so angry at these guys, read Galatians sometimes. But he's saying one time the Judaizers come from Jerusalem to check it out and Peter's with them. And Peter knew better. And that's why Paul wrote these words in Galatians 2 and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, meaning Peter, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Isn't that interesting? One thing I love about the scripture, friends, it lays it all out there. It does not hide, uh, you know, the stuff. And uh, so Peter, he struggled with that, and so do we sometimes, but it's, it's a time to examine that. This is This is out in the courtyard, but now we're gonna get to the the chief character, and that is Caiaphas himself, the high priest. Uh, If you're not familiar with that role, he was the leader of all Judaism. He's the one guy that would go into the temple on the Day of Atonement. He's the only one allowed there to go into the Holy of Holies. And then, then it was kind of a risky deal, right? I don't know how God didn't strike this guy down personally because of the hypocrisy. Caiaphas' hypocrisy was to pretend that he was faithful to God. He acted like he was religious, he acted like he was pious, like righteous. And I'm telling you, it it is nothing almost less than sickening when he stands before all these guys and he rips his robes as if he's so offended by what Jesus uh, is, is saying. The truth of the matter was he was not faithful to God. He was a man full of hatred. And as Luke points out later, as as, uh, Pilate recognized, he was a man full of envy of what was going on. He's the one that came up with the phrase, isn't it better for one man to die than for a whole nation to perish? He was more concerned about keeping their system intact than he was about acknowledging the truth about who Jesus Christ was. And it's clear, it's evidenced, by the, the multiple uh, departures or violations of the law that they set up themselves and claimed to follow, the arrest of Jesus was illegal. The trial was a joke. It was never to take place you know, in the dark or in the night, and yet that's when they assembled these 71 elders at Caiaphas' house. He assembles false witnesses, and he knows that they're liars, and he, he handpicked them because they were liars. He manipulates a false guilty uh, plea. And if that wasn't enough, he stands by as Jesus is being abused. Let's read it for ourselves. Verse 63, when the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him, they blindfolded him and they kept asking, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him and blaspheming him. And when these elders came together, it says both the priests and the scribes, they led him away to their council and said, if you are the Christ, then tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you're not going to believe, and if I ask you, you won't answer. But now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. And then they said, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves and from his own lips. And so he puts on this, this show, this, this basically display of piety, and, uh, and yet his heart is so filled with, with hatred. And friends, you know, uh, when, you, when you look at truth, now you understand why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside, but they were full of dead man's bones. That's hypocrisy at its worst. And here's the danger in all of these. Judas, Peter, that whenever you pretend to be something that you're not, you have to be very careful because eventually that will begin to take hold. An example I heard once is, is guys that are in law enforcement. that They, they take on the responsibility of a drug uh, undercover drug agents and they take on the role of one of these druggies you know, so that they can infiltrate and, and be able to, to you know, bring about justice there. But the problem is, you know what happens after a while? They started off playing a role to get do that but then the role began to play them and they become corrupt and this is what happens. When you pretend to be something you're not, after a while you find it kind of takes hold and you start believing it yourself. And so something to learn as a follower, will we follow Jesus into these times of suffering and what will it cause us to do? Will it cause us to pretend, uh, to be fearful and to avoid, or or will we be bold and make a decision, I'm gonna follow Christ even even to the trial, even to the judgment. Now they go from there to the second place I wanted to take you real quick, and that's to the palace of Pilate, all right? This is Pilate, the governor, uh, Roman governor. We pick up in verse 21, or 20. 23 verse one, he says, then the whole company of them arose and they brought him before Pilate and they began to accuse him. So here, here's, um, here's what you're going to see. The, the Jews' accusation of Jesus begin in verse two. It said, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute, that's a tax to, to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, on the most part, these Jews decide, you know what, we're going to take a different tact with Pilate. We've just found him guilty under our own court, our own religious court of blasphemy, you know, claiming to be God. That won't fly with Pilate. Pilate's not interested in that. What he'd do is he'd throw that right back in their face and say, you go deal with this. They could not get the death sentence without the checkoff of the Roman governor. So that's why they had to go to Pilate. But they changed their strategy. Now, instead, they use political Strategy against Jesus. He's speaking against the nation. He, he's forbidding people to pay your taxes. Who? And he is claiming to be a king. Now that got Pilate's attention because the only thing Pilate was real concerned about was insurrection. Make no, no uh mistake. Pilate was hated by the Jews and he hated the Jews himself. All right? but he had to work with them because he knew his own political career was resting upon the peace that would would hopefully be kept. He was in Jerusalem because there were hundreds of thousands more people there for Passover and it was a, a powder keg just ready to explode. So he was on pins and needles and he didn't want to do anything to upset that. That probably contributed to the incongruence that you see in Pilate because on the one side He does an assessment, and he does not see anything wrong, anything worthy of what they're talking about. But on the other side, he has to appease the Jews in order to keep the peace, all right? This is is classic. If, If Caiaphas' house is a place of hypocrisy, Pilate's palace is a place of indecision. He cannot make up his mind. He begins to inquire of Jesus. He sees this this person in front of him. He hasn't, hasn't slept for probably 24 to 36 hours maybe. He hasn't probably eaten. He has been beaten repeatedly. His face is probably swelling. There may be drops of blood that are beginning to emerge. Uh, he has been mistreated. He knows that. And now as he's inquiring of him and he's trying to, trying to detect, is there anything here worthy of execution of, a, of the death sentence? He starts to talk to him. If you go back to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 27, Matthew has an interesting take. He says, as Pilate's talking to Jesus, he says, Jesus, don't you hear what these guys are saying about you? If you dig in that and you just think about that, there's a tone that is saying, why aren't you defending yourself? I, even from my casual observance, you've done nothing worthy of what they're what they're saying. What is going on here? That's where Luke adds a little line. They did this out of envy, and Pilate detects this. But it says Matthew records. He says when the Jews made these claims and these accusations, Jesus said nothing. Remember the scripture, the prophecy that said he'd be like a lamb going before the slaughter. He just quiet. He just just silent. That's, that's what Jesus would have looked like. And so when he recalls what they're saying, and then it said, and then when Pilate began to quiz him, he said nothing, and then this little line, to the amazement of the governor. Pilate, to start off, when he hears these accusations, there, there is a sense of backing away from this. There is an apprehension, as I put it in your note. He is apprehended. But he doesn't want to find him guilty. He wants to find any way out of this. And there may be a couple of things behind this. In my opinion, as he's watching Jesus stand before him, something is beginning to emanate from this guy. And it's, it's transcendent. And I think the clue is what I just mentioned. He wasn't defending himself like all the other criminals that he has quizzed like this. Don't you find that when you've been dealt with unjustly, what's your first response? What's your instinctive response? Isn't it to kind of fight back? Isn't it kind of punch back? And none of that, Jesus is doing none of that, and he's saying, what is this all about? The way Jesus endures his suffering makes more of a testimony. It's a powerful moment in Pilate, and I think that Pilate is beginning to see something spiritual. I think there's even a sense that Pilate might be afraid of the wrath of God. I mean, it's not like he didn't deal with gods and things like that, even in his Roman context. He, he started seeing something that stirred him, and he knew there is something beyond. But then the second thing is his wife had a dream and told him, you better stay away from this guy. And if he would have been smart, <laughs> he would have listened to his wife, right? Amen? Hey, I'm, I'm, you're awful silent out there. I very influenced she should should have had more influence maybe I always think of this cartoon that I read years ago with uh, this pastor and with his wife and he said you know honey said you know my sermons would probably be more effective if every once in a while you said amen instead of huh (laughs) (laughs) and I thought about that and I said well thankfully I don't have to deal with that Um, he should have listened to her but there was something suspicious so now what does he do now he avoids what he thinks is avoiding the decision okay watch what all he tries to do to uh, to absolve himself of this responsibility the first thing he does is he tries to dismiss him he says i don't find any basis for this okay he looks it makes it a sense he says, they were, they were so urgent. He says, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and Galilee and even to this place. So they pressured him. That wasn't enough. He tries to, he dies referral. He says, well, Herod's in, in town. Let Herod deal with this. And of course, Herod, he just wanted a show. He wanted a miracle. And Jesus wasn't gonna accommodate it, so he sends him back. That didn't work. And then he tries amnesty he says, wow, here's the deal. Every year we let somebody go. I'll let him go, okay? Uh, I'll offer him or, or, or Barabbas. Man, this guy is so, uh, you know, so vile. There's no way they'll choose Barabbas, but that's who they choose. It, that didn't work, okay? So his last straw was, okay, I will flog him to one inch of his life. That's how the Roman whipping, the flogging was, and it was just so cruel and some didn't survive, but he said, I'll flog him, and that should appease them. That should be enough, but it wasn't enough. He did all those things, so what's he finally do? He stands up in front of them all, and he says, all right, you, you want this? You, you can have this, but then he washes his hands in front of them, as if somehow that was going to get rid of the guilt, get rid of his responsibility. And you know what I suspect? I suspect that Pilate washed his hands thousands of times after that, trying to get rid of it. Never worked. Because there's only one thing that will absolve you of the guilt of that sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that will wash it away is the blood of Christ and what he's done for us. And it's a shame that he didn't realize that it was right there in front of him. He had everything he needed to make a decision. He had all the information he needed right there in front of him, but he wouldn't make a decision. And so today, what do we do as we wind this down? Two things that I just wanted to kind of leave with you. When it comes to hypocrisy, friends, you've got to understand that it absolutely destroys our witness. You may think that you're somehow evading the, the, the pressure, the, 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 um, the consequence by pretend, pretending to be something that you're not, but Jesus sees it and believe it. Other people see it too. And then swing back the other way. If you do stand up boldly and you are courageous and you do take the shots and take the hit and you identify Jesus within his sufferings and even his persecution, I'm gonna tell you this. There is no time that your witness will go more powerfully than when people watch you suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because they're, they're interested in authenticity, they're interested in reality, and when they see you do that, there's something in their heart that says, wow, they would not do this. Just like Pilate should have come to the conclusion. They would normally defend themselves. They wouldn't do this unless there was something supernatural at work in them. It'll get their attention if you'll pay the price and the second thing that I take from Pilate is indecision is no decision. Or excuse me, it is a decision. When you say, I'm not gonna, I'm, not, I'm gonna wash my hands, I'm gonna clear myself of this, you've made a decision basically with all the information that you have, you've made a decision at that moment that I'm not gonna follow Jesus. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take him up. And that's where Pilate was at. And so today, here's my challenge. Will you follow him? Follow me, he says. Will you decide to follow him wherever he takes you? Whatever trial he takes you through. Some of you are in a trial right now. And maybe you're being tested at the core. Will I trust him? Will I follow him? You know, all I know is I look back over my journey of 46, 47 years almost, and I, I like the disciples in John six, where else would I go? (laughs) If I think I'm gonna turn away, where else would I go? Who else would I turn to now that I know him as I know him? And I hope that's where you come to the place. Friends, today as we conclude, if you're here today and you've never made that decision, what are you waiting for? Again, your indecision really is a decision. You've chose not to follow him. And I'm gonna shoot it to you straight. Don't do this this often. But sometimes we just have to hear it. Friends, if you're ushered off into eternity in the state that you're in right now, and you've never trusted Christ to be your advocate for your sin, to forgive you of your sin, you're gonna stand before God on your own merit. And I promise you, you're not gonna want to be in that place because our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. There is none righteous. The wages of sin, that separation, is death. That means eternal separation. You don't want to go there. So whether it's mostly I want the love of Christ to compel you to trust him for what he offers to you. But friends, if it takes fear, then so be it. I don't care. Even the little book of Jude says that. It says some have to be saved, like going through the the burning house. I don't care what it takes. All that matters is, is that you're ready to be ushered into eternity. You need to make a decision. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him? Will you boldly follow him? Or will you hold him back? I hope with all your heart you say yes. Yes. And you know what? Like the Apostle Paul, if it requires me to be crucified with him, I will be crucified with Jesus so that I might live with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And we're going to uh, confirm this through some worship and through some singing. But uh, I'd like to pray with you first before we do that, okay? Lord. Today, uh, your word, I know, is sharper than a two edged sword and goes places that nothing else could. God, however, that word has fallen on our hearts, may we be obedient to the promptings of your spirit, whatever you're challenging us to do. But Lord, in our heart of hearts today, I know I look in the faces of your people here and I just so love it as you do to see that there is just a yearning for more of you and a desire to follow you wherever you take us, whether it's to the garden or whether it's through the judgment and the trials, or whether it's to Calvary and the cross. Lord, as your disciples, we will take up our cross and follow you. God, just help us, not in our own strength, but through the strength of your Spirit in us to endure. We love you, Lord, today. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. 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 If we can come alongside you, let us know. Uh, You guys know you're always welcome to respond outwardly. If you'd like to pray, maybe use a kneeling bench or connect with one of us, feel free to do that. Just uh, use this time to to share back with the Lord the truth, even through the words that uh, our team's going to lead us through. So let's sing this together.